0: Welcome to
1: the Brown County Hour.
2: Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown,
1: where
3: the
4: plum
1: purple haze,
4: the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers,
3: inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers.
4: It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana
5: sit for a spell and hear the music,
4: the tall tales,
5: true stories,
4: and current goings-on,
3: brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter
2: and swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to the Brown County Hour on WFHB. This is Dave Seastrom,
3: Vera Grubbs, Pam Raider,
2: Rick Fettig, and Jeff Foster welcoming you to episode 22 of the Brown County Hour and our New Year 2014.
3: As we welcome the new year, we bring another slice of life in Brown County for your listening pleasure. This morning we have a nice mix, starting with another essay from Dave Seastorm and an interview with Carrie Ray along with some of her great music.
2: We also have more outstanding poetry from three of our favorites, Tramp Star, Chris Curtin, and Gunther Flum. There's also an ecology piece concerning the important discussion of our forest history with local experts, Charlie Cole and Linda Baden.
3: As if that weren't enough, we also have an interview with local artist, Patty Bartels. Finally, we close with a timely discussion between Father Time and the New Year's Baby. Here in our first segment is Dave Seastrom and Carrie Ray.
2: Winter in Brown County has its own challenges and rewards. Here in Hill Country, it doesn't take much weather to close the schools or lose power, sometimes for several days in a row. Trees and their branches overhanging the power lines do not require all that much ice to create a tangled mess, leading to long power outages as local power companies drive up and down the roads repairing the lines, clearing the fallen trees, and hooking everything back up. To the surrounding counties, we may look like cowards. The same amount of snow or ice that closes everything down here is but a mere two-hour delay for our neighbors. This is the difference being glaciated makes. It's no small irony that the outcome of the last ice age has made our winter travel more akin to Siberia than Terre Haute. It's the terrain, the unmistakable truth that cars and steep hillsides are a bad mix. A few generations ago, winter travel in our neck of the woods was actually much easier than it is today, so long as the roads were good and frozen. If the weather was warm, the roads of Brown County became churned into an impassable muck from horse and buggy traffic, and a person had to be mighty determined to go anywhere. In those times, a household had to be ready for an extended period of time where road travel was nigh on impossible. Pavement and gravel have mostly done away with muddy roads, but they also make travel in the ice and snow far more dangerous than in times past. A freshly shot horse is a formidable force against ice and snow. Sure-footed and measured in pace, a horse could always get where it was going. Something even the most robust four-wheel drive cannot boast. And I'm not just talking about going up the hills. Four-wheel drive is a wonderful tool and almost mandatory depending on where you live in the county. As useful as this is, it's the downside of the hills that must be overcome No amount of anti-slip, four-wheel drive, technological marvels make any difference when you're sliding sideways down an icy hillside. Proving, the more things change, the more they stay the same. On those days, it's still best just to stay home. Another thing that hasn't changed is the need to dress for travel as though you might have to walk home. It won't do to be lightly dressed in the middle of a severe storm if your car ends up in a ditch. We actually expect to be snowed in from time to time, and because of that, most folks are well prepared for this eventuality. Many of us keep our larder well stocked and our firewood piled high. There's true magic in being holed up during a dramatic winter storm, knowing that no matter what happens, you'll be warm and fed. It's a deep satisfaction that settles in as you sit by the window sipping something warm and watching the snow come in. Every season brings its own beauty to the forest. I suppose it's not unreasonable that a lot of folks think of fall as this supreme expression of the glory of nature and they definitely have a point. However, I would propose it's the season few outsiders ever experience that reigns supreme here in the county. There's no subjective measure of beauty, no meter or scale that defines what stirs your heart and pleases the eye. But for me, There is nothing more beautiful than the aftermath of a huge winter storm. Dusted from head to foot, the forest becomes something altogether different. Cold and crisp, even the air takes on a special quality, that sharp bite to the nostril as you step outside and experience a world that didn't exist before the storm. The trees stand sentinel over the hills and ravines, and the contours of the land are highly defined in a way that no other condition provides. The world becomes a place of quiet solitude, excellence measured by the depth of your perception. Stepping into this magic becomes an opportunity to be part of something special, something that only makes its appearance during winter, and when you accept this invitation, you become part of it all. Hiking and cross-country skiing come to mind. The hours spent traversing the hills and forest lands in winter are a reward that must be earned, but what a reward it truly is. Deep into the heart of the backcountry, more often than not, the only tracks in the snow are yours, and those made by the critters we share the forest with. The vistas enliven the heart, and during those few moments, you're part of something that's bigger than you, lost in the timeless beauty of nature. But honestly, even if you only experience this glory from the comfort of your living room, you know it's something truly special. A new year is upon us, and whether you're basking on a beach in Florida or catching up with your firewood in thigh-deep snow, we wish you and yours a happy new year. This is Dave Seestrom with the Brown County Hour. See you next time.
4: This is Dave Seaston with the Brown County Hour and. Rick Fettig, and we're here with Carrie Ray. She's a local artist that. You just recently moved into the territory, haven't you?
1: Uh, like yeah, a year ago, maybe. Ba- about two years ago two. now, actually. I'm practically an old timer. Uh,
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: uh,
4: I
2: read somewhere that you grew up on a farm. Was that somewhere around here?
1: Or? Uh, it was actually in Park County. It seems that I can't get away from places that are known for beautiful fall colors because uh. that's where I grew up. And. Um, and uh grew up on 80 acres, kind of running through the woods with my dog most of the time. And uh, it's a good way to grow up, and it's a great kind of place to get back to, for sure.
4: Yeah, a girl and her dog. That's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also read that your first gig was when you were three years old and you uh, sang to your dad's guitar company.
1: Somebody's been surfing the Internet. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's true. Oh, could never. That, could that ever happen?
1: Never, never. No, uh, yeah, that's true. I... Uh, I sang Away in a Manger, and Dad played the guitar, and I'm not sure if there was any promise of any kind of talent, but I was three, and little oh. three-year-old girls are cute, so I was a hit. Oh, cute <laughs> always
4: wins. Cute always <laughs>
2: that's
1: wins. That's right. I've been upstaged by many cute kids and dogs and you, you name it. Yeah. Oh, you
4: yeah. Well, I think we met at the Acoustic Roots Festival. I think that's right. And um, I might... Uh, inspire young musicians to follow you around because you're notorious for leaving your capo on the stage. Oh no, no,
1: no, there's that. There's that. I, I always have this this sort of rotating little family of capos and picks and I either it seems like I either have a bag full or I have none. There's it's feast or famine when it comes to that and then eventually they kind of all find their way back to me and then go away again. It's just we just yeah. have kind of a come and go relationship like
4: that. Kind of, kind of
2: a Johnny Appleseed thing. A little bit, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. absolutely.
4: How do you go about writing your songs? You write most of your own material, right?
1: I do. Correct. I write all of my own material. I've had yeah. some co-writers help me. Yeah, even that typically has been I'll have a seed of an idea, and then I'll decide to enlist someone. Just It just makes the process a little more fun and brings in kind of a different view, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But for me, uh, songwriting, you know, I think it would be really fun to, to come up with some magical formula for how a song gets written. I think every writer has their own process. Uh, I know for me, I don't really have a process, but I do have a few ingredients that are really necessary to make a song show up. I say show up because it feels like they kind of come and visit. Uh And that is I I feel like I have to create quiet and still, like in my mind. Uh, You know, There's so much, so many stimulus everywhere you go these days. And so I find that cloistering myself in one way or another, whether it's just in my own house or sometimes I'll go away for a week or what have you. And sometimes that's a time to visit with the songs and kind of help them be born because I'll get an idea while I'm driving down the road or standing in the shower, but life happens too, so I may not have time to go work right. on that song right yeah. then. So I'll sing it into my phone or whatever it is and then wait until I have that time to be still. It's kind still. of a meditation. Yeah, it really is. I, I think for me, I have to empty my mind out for something fresh and new to come into it. At least that's true cool. for me. Listening for it. Yeah, yeah. And I can't listen for it when there's a lot of other noise going on in my head. And I and I have to work at that a little bit. I'm, you know, everybody's a little different, but I know there are a lot of people like me for whom, especially creative folks, where you know my mind just goes 100 miles an hour. It seems like all ah. the time. And so it takes some impetus and some uh, focus and discipline to make myself slow that down and create space, but I keep doing it because of the rewards for doing so, you know? Even in a light song sometimes it seems like there's a message in it or something and not like I'm some kind of crusader who has this big message that I want to put out or political agenda or anything like that, but I I think that if I had to pick a thread that winds through a lot of my music. There's just a lot in there that's, that's about permission to have the experience of your life without a lot of judgment or making this choice or that choice wrong or this experience or that experience wrong. And instead just go ahead and have it and it's okay. you know.
4: <laughs> well, I kind of like that concept.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Works for me.
4: <laughs> well, I understand that you're also
2: a shopkeeper here in town.
1: I am. I've joined the ranks of the merchants, the local merchants. So, uh, Yeah, I, I moved down here uh, because of the wonderful music community that's here and I really just sort of fell right into it. I felt great being here and really enjoyed other musicians and just people in general that I met in this sort of collaborative, creative spirit here in Brown County. I think, stands to reason that I wanted to be here more and more and got more and more reluctant to leave the county, if I I can admit that. And, uh, you know, I was still doing some consulting up in Indianapolis, and I was making that drive a few times a week, and I really wanted to find a way to stay closer to this new home that I loved. And so I opened, uh, along with my partner, Michelle Damrell, we opened a shop here in town called The Wild Olive, and uh, we're purveyors of fine olive oils and balsamics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's great. It's just another creative outlet, right? uh Cooking is another Uh, creative outlet for me, for sure. (laughs) Oh, I,
2: I couldn't agree more. It's you know, it's all comes from the same well.
1: I think it does. That's why I've always been a cook, but never a baker. I'm working on that because baking is like chemistry, and there are a lot of rules, and I don't always (laughs) do real well with that in the kitchen. So uh, you know, you really have to kind of follow the recipe, and that's never following the recipe has never been my strong suit. And you can make up whatever you want to make up about that.
2: yeah. (laughs) So your shop ends up facilitating your music.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's Uh, your
2: your day gig.
6: Yeah,
1: you know, I woke up one morning and I was sort of thinking about. How can I ha- how can I make more music and, and create more time to make music and be still and create those quiet times? And I realized that as a consultant who only had my time to sell, that that wasn't really a very good marriage. And so the idea of creating a shop was to create a leverageable asset that would allow me eventually, not at first for sure, <laughs> but uh, eventually to, f- to free up more time to be about what I feel like my passion and vocation is, which is songs and yeah. and really storytelling uh, you know I love to sing and I love music and um, but I consider myself to have a larger focus I guess on lyrics and the story or the emotion underneath uh, the music it's not necessarily about the really creative lick or chord progression or whatever it might be yeah. um, it's just that just creates a bed for the energy and the story that I want to
2: share in your heart.
1: Share. yeah that's right you got it <laughs> you got it. Bingo.
2: Carrie, tell us a little bit about winning the uh Performer of the Year at Brown County's Music Awards last year.
1: Yeah, that was really great. It was really an honor. I uh I participated in the awards as well and and did some presenting uh for other musicians which was really fun. And uh then was honored with with that award at the end of the night which was really bowled me over especially as a, a new kind of a new person in the community. I was really honored by that and um And, uh, you know, the other thing about those awards that was so great, probably the highlight for me and a lot of the musicians as I talked to them, is it was sort of like a busman's holiday because so many of us that are out there actively, you know, working as professional musicians don't have many opportunities to hear one another perform. Uh, because so-and-so has a gig on the same night I do and so on and so forth and so having uh, an event that brought everyone together like that where we can not only see each other but actually see each other play and possibly even perform with each other was a real treat and uh, I'm excited to say that I'm on the steering committee uh, for this year's uh, event And uh, some cool changes are in the works. I can't really discuss that yet. It's uh, uh, not public information at this point. Uh, But uh, but you heard it here. That's right. You heard it here first. (laughs) Uh, But we're we're having some fun conversations, and we just really sort of uh, after last year's event and the great success, uh, we used that as a springboard, and it kind of opened our minds up to what what could this event become and what could it mean for Brown County and the musicians here and uh, our hope is obviously that for it to improve every year but uh, certainly with this second year to take everything that was great from last year and then just really even elevate that further this year
2: let's hear Carrie's song This Ain't Enough nominated for Song of the Year at the 2013 Brown County Music Awards
6: Oh Love was a heart to come home to, one hand to leave all the others behind. Mama said, Love was a seed that you planted, one that would grow.
2: Pause for station ID.
3: Brown County Hour is underwritten by Riverlight Yoga, where we practice mindful yoga with precise instruction and plenty of silence. Join us for Warm Up From Within at the Abe Martin Lodge, January 17th through 19th, for three days of mind-body-spirit exploration. See riverlightyoga.com for full information.
2: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org.
3: Welcome back to episode 22 of the Brown County Hour. We begin our next segment with a poem from Tramp Star. Charlie Cole and Linda Baden continue their discussion concerning the history of Brown County's forestry lands. More music from Carrie Ray and another seasonal poem from our friend Gunter
7: Flum. Hi, I'm Tramp Star. You don't know about me without you've read the writings of a fellow named Carl Wilson, but that ain't no matter. Carl was a writer, a goat farmer, a boxer, and an all-around swell guy. Good friend of mine. Carl used to publish some of my stuff under the title, Jokes and Jingles from Curly Shingles by Tramp Star. Curly Shingles was the name he had given his little old cabin. The Shake Shingles had all kind of curled up on him. Tramp Star is, well, that's me. Laugh it off. Only one way to lick trouble. Laugh it off. Sigh and every grief seems double. Laugh it off. Never pays to be a croucher or a cringer or an oucher. Ain't nobody loves a groucher. Laugh it off. Got a mortgage debt to hound you? Laugh it off. Hundred worries all around you? Laugh it off. Friend you trusted up and fail you? Hard luck demons seem to trail you? Never mind, size won't avail you. Laugh it off. Boss get tough, maybe fire you? Laugh it off. Someone else will likely hire ya. Laugh it off. No use getting sour or bitter. Never know to grouch or quitter to be picked as a pinch hitter. Laugh it off. Need dough you can't earn or borrow? Laugh it off. Always bound to be tomorrow. Laugh it off. Lift your mouth up at the corners. Lay away from the forlorners. Wish that they were never borners. Laugh it off. Think your work is underrated? Laugh it off. Lots of raises come belated, laugh it off. World has got too many sires, bellyachers, and standbyers. Stick in there among the triers. Laugh it off. Other folks have had a headache? Laugh it off. Other folks have had a heartbreak? Laugh it off. Never let your troubles phase you. Only ages, only graze you. It ain't easy,
8: but it pays you to laugh it off.
2: Charlie Cole and Linda Baden,
8: two of our conservation greats, Richard Lieber and Charles Deem, both at one time were um, uh, directors of the state forest system. These two gentlemen also helped uh, form the state park
5: system. And at the in the beginning, the the only goal of the state forest system was to leave the land alone they it would have been so badly eroded that the first task was to let it be reforested and let the wildlife habitat be restored and that's what the early forest management focused on committing land to the public trust began in 1903 with the passage of indiana code that enabled that established the state forest system in indiana and. I'm going to read the enabling legislation because in future programs we're going to talk a little bit about its impact and, and really the mission and the vision of the state forest. Um, and it just goes as this. It is the public policy of Indiana to protect and conserve the timber, water resources, wildlife, and topsoil in the forest owned and operated by the Division of Forestry for the equal enjoyment and guaranteed use of future generations. But here's the rub. It went on to say however by the employment of good husbandry timber that has substantial commercial value may be removed in a manner that benefits the growth of saplings and other trees by thinnings improvement cuttings and harvest processes and at the same time provides a source of revenue to the state and counties and provides local markets with a further source of building materials and this is a topic we will return to again and again as we talk about the current status of the state forest and what their mission and vision perhaps needs to be in this time. In any case, the first state forest was Clark Forest Reserve in Henryville, and that was established in 1903, and it was one of the first state forests in the entire country. So again, they were very visionary, they were looking forward. As Charlie mentioned, Richard Lieber and Charles Dean both served as directors of the early state forest system. Uh, When the state forest land were being purchased, they were pretty much considered worthless. The government or the state were, was able to buy up this land at really discount prices. A lot of it was abandoned due to not having paid taxes. And so the state began to buy up land and the federal government began to purchase land in Brown County. Their intention being to stop the erosion and restore the land to something more profitable. And I think that you also have to consider the time when this was happening. There's this ethic where everything had to have a purpose and everything had to have a value and was wasteful to not maximize what you what you had. At the same time, the pest practices had been so wasteful that what they had was very limited in what they started with. Um, the result of the land buying in Brown County is that more than 50% of Brown County is in state or federal, public, or uh, public state or federal parkland and forest land
8: the state forest property was leased from the Department of Agriculture in um, about 1947 and it was deeded to the state of Indiana in 1956 Yellowwood Lake is a 133 acre reservoir that was created in 39 by the CCC damming Jackson Creek as part of the Bean Blossom Land Utilization Project uh, of the United States Bureau of Agricultural Economics. This is all the CCC and WPA stuff. You can still still see traces of the uh, uh, CCC and the straight uh, section of road going by the lake, and also the assistant manager's residence and the uh, shelter house were all uh, constructed by the CCC.
5: Yellowwood Forest is. Uh- What you picture when you picture Brown County's forests. Very, very typical. It's dominated by oak and hickory, especially black oak, chestnut oak, white oak. It's got shagbark hickory, pignut hickory, and it has American beech, red oak, sugar maple, and white ash. Uh, The state-threatened yellowwood tree, the namesake of the yellowwood state forest, uh, does exist in yellowwood state forest, but it is rare. And there are a number, quite a few, globally, state, and federally listed species that are classified as endangered, threatened, or rare that occur in Yellowwood State Forest. These include beetles, butterflies, mussels, certain fish, frogs, the timber rattlesnake, the Kirkland snake, the sharp-shinned, red-shouldered, broad-winged hawk, great blue heron, the trillium warbler, the black-throated warbler, bald eagle, bobcats and badgers, the yellowwood tree, um, tr- St. John's wort, golden seal, butternut tree, ginseng, the natural community itself, that is, these dry upland forests. So, this forest land in Brown County is a reservoir for a huge amount of species that are considered rare, endangered, or threatened.
2: We're having way too much fun here. This is Dave Seestrom with the Brown County Hour. We're back with Carrie Ray. So, Carrie, I understand this song has a Patsy Cline connection. You want to share about that?
1: Sure. I don't actually cover any Patsy Cline music, although I've been a big fan uh, my whole life, a closet fan as a kid, because I wanted everybody to think I was listening to Def Leppard, Um, which I was, but I listened to Patsy, too. Uh, Anyway, I I don't really cover any Patsy tunes, because I think they've all been done as well as they're going to ever be done, so I don't do them, but I wanted to pay tribute to her somehow. So I decided to write a song that was of that style. Uh, I, this song is called Never Your Heart, and I like to think that if Patsy were still around, kicking on this planet anyway, that she might like to record it.
6: I remember the first E Amém
9: was once this other day a small disaster come my way when me and my old pickup truck got us out there good and stuck in some kind of swampy bog whilst I was driving in the fog. No matter how I cussed or talk, it looked to me I had to walk but it was not my heart's desire to step out in that muck and mire and then imagine my surprise when there appeared before my eyes a giant hairy kind of man walking in that swampy land. This creature out of myth and lore came up and knocked on my door and said, "'Hey, buddy, just your luck, but give it up. You're really stuck. "'You might as well come to my home. I hate to truly dine alone. "'And since I gathered all this food, some company would help my mood. "'I'll tell you, it was some debate, for it was hard to tell my fate, "'for underneath that critter's arm was wiggling mass a swarm of poison snakes of every kind "'in a swamp that you can find. "'Now, I'd be lying if I lied. You should have seen his other side.' For underarm he had a pile of feisty fightin' crocodile, and snapping turtles did appear hanging from his hairy ear. So you can see I was scared, for never had I done prepared all them critters that he had since barbecuin with my dad. I figured I ain't ate since lunch, and sort of had a kind of hunch that when you're stuck out in a swamp with a guy whose feet can stomp your car apart from trunk to hood, the dinner's looking pretty good. This creature I thought would attack carried me upon his back with all them critters that he had kind of looking sort of sad, knowin what he planned to do when he got home to make his stew. Now you may think I'm lying, I'll bet, but that's the best meal I've had yet. Never mind the time it took, the hairy guy could really cook. Why, all them snakes that he would toss into that crocodile sauce had a flavor all its own, unlike any in my home or any that I ever dared in my life to have prepared. I cleaned the dishes in his sink. We had an after-dinner drink. I asked him if there's more like him. He said he had a cousin, Jim, who in a while he'd give a shout and they'd both get my pickup out. I ain't lying. That's how it was. He said that's what his cousin does. That's how it was, and I ain't a liar. They plucked it from that muck and mire and stuck that truck back on the road and put it back a special load. And it weren't but a little while I heard them snakes and crocodile in my truck and in the bed demandin' that they all be fed. But just to show I ain't a louse, so I took them to my neighbor's house, the one on whom that I take pity because they're from the busy city. So even though they weren't all there, you know how much I love to share. So I was happy asking B to also leave the recipe.
2: And now we pause for station identification.
3: brown county hour is underwritten by Riverlight yoga where we practice mindful yoga with precise instruction and plenty of silence join us for warm up from within at the abe martin lodge january 17th through 19th for three days of mind body spirit exploration see riverlightyoga.com for full information
2: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Welcome back to episode 22 of the Brown County Hour. In our final segment this morning, we bring you another poem from Chris Curtin, more wonderful music from Carrie Ray. We also have an interview with Patty Bartell, and we conclude with a conversation between Father Time and the New Year's Baby.
3: This is Chris Curtin with a poem called Long Winter. You needn't accept the colorlessness of winter and its haphazard wreckage, but with hues from your heart, paint the flowers and trees around you with bold strokes and bring back the vivid colors of more favored seasons. To combat the unlovely steel-gray sky, you of course have saved back several bottles of sunshine and buckets of blue sky to release as needed to illuminate the darkest corners of your home and your soul and send loneliness packing. It goes without saying that while young, you must store away in boxes some decent quantity of love and song to later be opened on occasions when the world has forgotten you and let loose to spill out everywhere around you willy-nilly in any weather as you please.
2: This is Dave Seastrom with the Brown County Owl, and we're back with Carrie Ray in another tune called Your Time. So Carrie, why is this song particularly special to you?
1: Well, all the songs that uh, you all have played today are off of my most recent uh, CD, which is called Modern Relic, and this song is as well. And I would say of all the songs on the CD, although they're all really personal, of course, this one holds... I think, special meaning for me. This is a song that I wrote at a time that I was really trying to reconnect with sort of all the wild, energetic, exciting parts of myself that I I seem to have somewhere lost along the way since childhood. That sort of freedom um, and lack of care for what everybody else thought and lack of fear to try new things and kind of go for it. I decided that a good way for me to try to reconnect with that was to write a song about it. And uh, this is that song, and so it's sort of become my my anthem for taking on my life in kind of a bigger way in the last few years.
4: So, Carrie, you got some shows coming up here in January, don't you? What are you working people catch your show?
1: Yeah, I do. Actually, right now, though, I'm still coming down from uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, where we played with uh, Reverend and Breezy Payton and the Indiana Boys for the Big Bash at the Playhouse, which was so fun. And uh, now, as soon as I'm able to collect myself again, which should happen at least within the next week or so, I hope, (laughs) Uh, we're going to play for the Winter Wellness Weekend on January 18th. So we'll be at the Abe Martin Lodge uh, in the evening playing. And actually earlier that day, over in Columbus at the DSI uh, Winter Wine Festival, Wine and Beer Festival, uh, which supports a great nonprofit. So you can come check us out there in the okay. afternoon and you can find more information on my website at www.carryraycom And that's spelled C-A-R-I-R-A-Y. Thank well. you so
2: much for coming in, Carrie. It's been a blast. Oh, thank it you. It has been. Thank it's you. Been and maybe, joy. you know,
1: in an outtake or something, we can make available all the fun conversation that happened off the air during this interview. <laughs> maybe not, but, uh, but if that's ever possible, I'm sure people would enjoy that. I know I would.
3: This is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour for WFHB. I'm talking today with Patricia Partels. Hello, Patricia. How are you? Fine. I'm great today. Thank you. All right. Glad to hear it. Brown Countyans know you as a teacher first and as an artist second. How have you accommodated this dichotomy in your life?
0: Well, I think they blend beautifully. Uh, I brought my art into the classroom. The first thing I did to the students was introduce myself as not only an art teacher, but as a painter and tell them about my love for art and how my love is actually recorded within my paintings. Uh, so I think they saw me in a different light. They saw me as more than just a teacher. It was somebody that actually uh, made art, that art was actually a very, very important part of their life. And I Express that to them.
3: Sometimes I see the name Roden used as a middle name for you. How is your family connected to Brown County?
0: Well, Roden was my maiden name. And I use it in the art world because I sold my first painting to a museum, actually the Fort Wayne Museum, when I was in my early 20s before I got married. So I maintained the name Roden R-H-O-D-E-N, as my art name. And so when I enter shows or I've had a couple more pieces purchased by museums um, into their permanent collections, I'm um, always labeled as Roden. It's kind of fun, I, I had an art show I was in an art show and I won a prize and one of my students was at the show and she said uh, uh, that she liked this particular painting very much. And I, I said, well, that's my painting. She said, no, the name's Roden. And I said, but that's me. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, at times it's, it's kind of an incognito for me in Brown County because people know me as Bartels uh, from teaching for 30 years here. But uh, in the art world, I'm Roden. Uh, As far as our background, uh, my father purchased property here when I was in my teens. And we would come here on the weekends and uh, uh, camp out or stay at the Seasons or Brown County Inn and uh, walk the property. And then um, in berry season, come picking berries, and we loved it here. And, and I knew I was uh, raised in a city, born and raised in a, in a rather large city, and I knew right away I didn't belong there. And um, as soon as I had the opportunity, uh, we picked up everything and moved here. We left our jobs in Ohio and, and moved here with nothing set up. And we started building our log home. Uh, eventually, I got a job uh, teaching, and Gary got, uh, a, his first job was with Costco, and then on to Arvin, and then now he owns um, Explore Brown County and the zip lines and all that. We just moved here with a dream in our head. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy.
3: Yes, yes. What are some of the highlights in your life as an artist?
0: I've won some first places and some big shows. I've had several pieces purchased by museums and become part of museum collections. I have uh, two sides in in the art world. I have the create the beautiful art, the the landscapes that that surround me here in Brown County. And then I have, uh, I don't know if I want to say deeper, but I have another side uh, where I create really political narratives where I preach some of my feelings. And for instance, I did a seven painting series that's now in the Civil Rights Museum in Birmingham, Alabama, and it's called The Madonna of Kosovo, and it's a woman's perspective on war. Um, I I did another series when we went to war um, in Iraq because I felt very strongly about that and art is art has always been a place that I could go to when I was um, very emotional, when I was trying to express feelings, when I was trying to get feelings out. Sometimes when I'm really upset, uh, I'll just go paint, and it's amazing how uh, frequently those are my best paintings. They they tend to be very emotional. I'm. Almost throwing the paint on the canvas. Um, I'm, I'm definitely slashing the paint on the canvas and um, I tend to, as I get away from them, you know, weeks, months later, see those paintings and like them better because they're filled with a really strong emotional quality.
3: How has the spirit of Brown County influenced your art?
0: all I have to do is look out the window, and there it all is. I mean, the beauty is surrounds me. When I painted with Frederick Wrigley, we'd climb in his van, and we'd say, oh, well, we're going to go paint over by Dr. Howard's, or we're going to go paint um, someplace far away, and uh, we wouldn't make it out my driveway. We'd be driving down my driveway, and all of a sudden, the light would come through the trees in a special way, and we'd be like, wow, and we'd stop and before I knew it we were painting in my driveway. Uh-huh. Uh, it's
3: all around me. This is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour for WFHB.
10: Hi, I'm Katie Kogler from Brown County State Park. What if you can make a material that is lightweight and flexible and stronger than a piece of steel the same size, just using your own body? Spiders can perform this feat by making silk with spinnerets. This is an example of one of the amazing things about spider anatomy. After you get past the fear factor, they have neat aspects about their legs, eyes, and jaws. With the weather being so chilly, we look indoors for things to do, and the spider's presence indoors presents us with a rare opportunity to study wildlife during the winter. Just to get you more in the mood for spider hunting, though, let's clear up some myths. First, you do not consume four to five spiders in your sleep per year. The factors needed to accidentally consume a a spider are too numerous. Myth two, the harvestmen, or daddy long legs, which have very long legs, are actually not spiders. There is a myth going around right now that they are the most venomous spider, but that their jaws are too small to pierce human skin. That's not true. They do not actually have venom because they're not spiders, and they're mostly scavengers, not hunters. Myth number three, well I mentioned looking at spiders indoors. They might be prevalent right now, but they aren't coming in from the cold. They are probably house spiders, and the ones running around in your bathtub right now are probably males searching for mates. Since these spiders spend most of their life indoors, don't put them out in the cold, every spider can make silk. They make silk from projections on the underside of their abdomen, called spinnerets. Glands inside the spinnerets make a liquid, and when it flows out of the spinnerets and touches the air, the liquid hardens and spider silk forms. The spider then guides the silk with its spinnerets, or its legs, to make different types of webbing. Spider legs come in all shapes and sizes. Some spiders, such as wolf spiders and funnel-web spiders, have short muscular tapering legs that can help them move quickly to catch prey. I think jumping spiders are really neat spiders because of their short legs that can jump really far from plant to plant, even to your hand. But don't worry, they're just moving along. Spiders will have four, six, or eight eyes, usually eight. Also, some spiders, such as cave spiders that live in the dark all the time, have no eyes. Sometimes you can identify spiders by the number or position of their eyes. One example is the brown recluse, one of the two dangerous spiders you need to watch out for in Indiana. They have six eyes and three pairs on their head, so that it kind of looks like they have three eyes. The other dangerous spider in Indiana is a black widow, but they are obviously shiny black with a bulbous abdomen that has a red marking. As for the way spiders eat, they use their jaws, and part of their jaws are their palps, which act as feelers for the spiders And also to help them eat. Palps are fun because they're a way to tell the difference between boy spiders and girl spiders. I bet you always wondered that whenever you saw a spider. The boys have bulbous palps on the ends and the girls have skinny palps. Now that we've talked about spider silk, legs, and palps and the venomous ones too, we know a lot about spiders, at least a lot more than others do. There are many more interesting facts about spiders you can learn from kids.nationalgeographic.com and your local library. I'm a big fan of libraries. Also, a great place to study spiders is right around your own home. With more watching and learning about spiders, you might find they are much more fascinating than scary. This has been Katie Kogler from Brown County State Park.
2: Somewhere in the universe, a bell tolls. and the new year 2014 is born. We listen now to a conversation between Father Time and the new year's baby.
4: Hey kiddo, how's it going?
11: I am so glad to be here. Everything is fresh and new and I can't wait to begin the new year. Father Time, As the new year begins and the old year is ending, from all that you've seen, please tell me what's on your mind.
4: Well, in the beginning, the women would pump out the babies like puppies. As intelligence increased, you all started coming out with bigger heads and giving birth became a life-threatening situation, making life itself ever more precious. This encouraged more of a family-type atmosphere, geared toward teamwork, survival, food, nurturing, and then became good to have kids and girls and boys were valued equally. As the world changed, boys took on a disproportional value. The more boys, the more owners. The more boys, the more warriors. The more boys, the more herds a family could manage, which equaled wealth. as wealth became an issue, people became a commodity. Life became harder and it was sad to bear children. As parents struggled, children were born into poverty or slavery. It was hard for humans to look at their babies and believe that their life would probably be worse than their own. Woe to the newborn child. Then many centuries passed. Then came the industrial age. There were jobs aplenty. There might be a future and something one might be able to offer his children. If humanity taught their children to fall in step and support the corporate conglomerate, those children might be able to bump it up a notch and have a bigger house and a nicer car than their parents ever had. When the industrial age began its decline, the credit card era rose supreme. If the children didn't quite bump it up an entire notch, they could at least charge it once again more than an entire generation owed their soul to the company store a new updated version of slavery Woe to the children will our kids soon wrap raggedy rags around them to keep warm like in the middle ages or is there something positive we can look forward to for our children i just don't know
11: your words are true father time and your heart is very heavy from the dawn of existence to the present life has always been a struggle War and disease, greed and hard times have always been a part of the human story. But with each year, life begins anew, and we all have the opportunity to make a fresh start. The message I bring to the world with every new year is hope. As long as we're willing to keep working for a better life for us all, there is hope. With every hug, with every smile, and with every act of kindness and compassion we share, there is hope. This is the gift of new beginnings, and we are given a chance to write a new story, and there's nothing more helpful than that. Your concerns are real, Father Time, and it's up to us all to see a better world in each of us. Happy New Year.
4: You got it, baby. Happy 2014 to one and all.
3: Thanks for tuning in to episode 22 of the Brown County Hour, broadcast from WFHB the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. You can stream this or any of our shows at our website, browncountyhour.com, and be sure to visit us on Facebook.
2: This show was produced by Jeff Foster and Pam Rader, and co-produced by Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, and Dave Seestrom. The executive producer is Allison Bechtesch for WFHB. And here's a slap on the back to our friend Slats Klub for our theme music. You've been listening to the Brown County
4: Hour.
1: Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana.
4: Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community.
1: Visit us online at browncountyhour.com.
4: The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB.
3: Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana.
8: Take me back, back to my home, Brown County Oh